Welcome back, everyone, to I Loved This Conversation. I'm Alex Salzberg. Um, who am I? I'm a lot of things. I'm a filmmaker. I'm actually just wrapping up a big animated film, huge project, and pretty excited for everyone to see it. And yeah, I'm an animator and uh, a podcaster these days as well. This is my podcast where I talk to creative people in my growing creative community about what's going on in our creative lives. In about three minutes, you'll hear my conversation with Alyssa Escobar, who's an artist, a traveler, many other things. And as we talk about a lot today, the composer of the musical Beautiful Broken Peace, which recently premiered in Oaxaca, Mexico. Like a lot of guests on this show, it's kind of a running theme. Uh, Alyssa's creative life had a lot of twists and turns. She directed theater in public schools back in the day. She then became a mental health counselor in schools. She survived cancer and then began traveling and living life on the road. And then kind of reunited with her artistic self and her inner child, culminating in the musical that we're going to talk a lot about. We recorded this conversation virtually. Um, I was at my desk in Boston, same desk I'm at now. And Alyssa was in Santa Cruz, California. The word I can think of to describe this conversation is beautiful. Actually, two words, uh, beautiful and healing. The things we discussed, like especially around inner child, mortality, patience, they were really healing and helpful to me a few months ago when we talked. And they were healing and helpful to me all over again as I edited the episode. It's the kind of stuff I think we all need to be reminded of again and again as artists and as humans. And it was really good timing for me to be listening to this conversation again because I, a lot of it's in my own head, but I feel like I'm at a little bit of a crossroads in my creative career. I had a great year creatively. Um, I finished this huge film project, which was for a client, but creatively, it's one of the things I'm most artistically proud of. And I'm also super excited and passionate about this podcast and even got to do some freelance podcasting work for another podcast. And so there's kind of these new creative threads that I want to follow. But to be totally uh, candid, um, for a variety of reasons, it was not a great year business-wise or financially or income-wise, whatever you, you know what I mean. And I'm kind of at a point where like, if I follow this creative momentum that I have, that would take me to more experimentation, more exploring of this podcast world, which is, as you can probably guess, not lucrative, or at least not right away. And I'm um, trying to grow as a filmmaker and writer and keep the creative flow going in that way. But after a tough year income-wise, there's always a part of me that's tempted to just make those safer, like quote-unquote, responsible choices in my career. So still having a creative career, but choices that are a little less new, a little less exciting to me at the moment, a little more guaranteed to like recoup some of that income. And I'm sure like all things, there's a middle ground. My brain tends to split things into all or none. But it's always a challenge to be at a point where like my creative and artistic goals don't line up with my business and financial goals. And I want to be, I keep putting this in quotes for a reason, but quote unquote responsible. But I also know that like if I don't follow the creative passion, um, especially like newly awakened creative passion, new areas that I'm excited about creatively, that could be really detrimental too. Anyway, this is all stuff that I'm still mulling over. I don't have any answers. Having great conversations with my wife, with friends. But once you hear this episode, you'll probably get a sense of which way I'm leaning after listening to this episode over and over while editing. All right. So anyway, let's get to the episode. Um, I just wanted to say I apologize for the quality of my audio on this. We cleaned it up as best we could, but we were playing with some new audio recording software and my track just didn't come out that great. But our guest sounds great. So let's meet our guest and hear her connection to me. My name is Alyssa Escobar, and I got connected to Alex 
through Dave Marcus, who is the best childhood friend of my lifelong partner. So (laughs) that's like our way we're connected. But also Dave Marcus is your partner's cousin. Right. We're like, what is it? Podcast host and guest through marriage or something? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But this is our first conversation. And I have to say, I, um, I also had to jump on hearing your podcast because Dave Marcus suggested that I listen to the Big Magic podcast, which is like Elizabeth Gilbert, four years ago. And I completely ignored him. And then <laughs> like four years later, listened to it and was like, this is incredible. Why did I ignore Dave Marcus? <laughs> so when he was like, I have a podcast you have to listen to. And like, I think you should talk with Alex. I was like, oh, I'm going to do that and not have like regrets in four years being like, why didn't I do that? It was so fun. Well, first, I'm very honored to be put in the same sentence with Elizabeth Gilbert's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, I will say on the flip side, you came highly, highly, highly recommended as a guest from David. So um, hopefully that's not any pressure. But <laughs> I'm honored and excited to be here. <laughs> well, all right. I'm going to ask you our opening question now, which is... Alyssa, what is something you are currently going through in your creative life? I feel like in this moment, and we'll get into this more, is I've just in the last month closed out the show that I wrote the music for and directed and produced it independently. (laughs) So (laughs) at this moment, I'm in like, can you slow down and stop? Because Mm. there's that energy that comes with doing something like that. And um, I think there's like a past me who was like, what's the next thing? I've got to get it going. If I don't get it going, like it's never going to happen. And I'm trying to practice. I am practicing. (laughs) It's okay. It'll still be there. Like if you take a month and you rest and you reset and let yourself just be, the idea will still be there. Like the opportunities will still be there that's okay. So it's so interesting to have that internal conversation with myself where I'll have moments where I'm like, but if you don't talk to that theater company now, like they're not gonna, you know, like, so that's where I'm at is like trying to slow down and rest and just having those internal conversations of like, I hear that it feels like it'll be gone, but let's trust if it's the right thing that's going to happen next. It'll be there when you're ready. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I fully relate to so much of what you said. And I I need to like have my alarm clock be you saying it'll be there, (laughs) be patient or whatever. I guess maybe first, just for some context for the listener, if you could describe, um, and I'm sure we'll dig more into it, but you can maybe describe it in the sort of elevator pitch way, the show that you just put on and how that all came together. So I started with a one woman show that turned into a seven person cast musical (laughs) about my life and my process. And there were two to this life and this process. And one was that I completely changed my life, meaning I quit my job and sold everything and started traveling after I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then I went through treatment for that and I decided I needed to do something different. So like that had been this major transformation and change Mm -hmm. in my life. But then right at that moment when the pandemic started, I was starting to have these artistic conversations with myself and realizing how much I had kind of said, well, you're going to be a traveler now. So you can't can't direct and you can't act because you're moving all the time. So just let that part of your life go. And there was this part of me, as soon as I could stop long enough, that said, like, I don't want to let go. And actually, this is really important that you don't let go because what came out for me when I was sick was if you want to live a life that felt good, that like whenever your last day is, you're like, I lived truly in the way I wanted to live, then you can't let go of creating and acting and singing because that 
really made you feel alive while I was going through cancer treatment. Like I went to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which is an incredible place to get treatment. I happened to be living in Boston at the time. And I like went to the drum circles and I wrote songs and I wrote every day and I got to move my body and dance. And I was doing improv with like a group at the time who would like put on improv shows to tell my story. It was just art was in every single aspect of my healing. And then I said, okay, thanks so much, Art. I'm going to go travel. (laughs) (laughs) And like totally leave this. And it's okay. I can let that go. And I was like, wait, that was the medicine I most needed. So how can I possibly let that go? So that's where the show was growing out of. And I had no idea where it was going. And then as it happens, sometimes when something needs to be made, the right things came along to help me then record the music. The right people came along to help me do the show. And though, of course, it was a lot of work. It was like, I'm on a train and it's not stopping. So I'm going to do the show. Oh, man. Okay. So as usual, I have a million questions um, <laughs> launching from that. I guess my first thought, just to kind of follow this thread of the realization, you're kind of in your traveling life. You've been prioritizing travel and living in different places, and then it hits you to prioritize art. The um, show, Beautiful Broken Peace, is about having cancer and changing your life and your career. Did that come to you right away or or was it a longer journey to like biographical art? In the beginning of the show, there's this whole part where I'm like, yeah, but you're kind of boring. And like, who wants to listen to what you have to say about your life? That feeling that I think comes with like doing something that vulnerable, that's, are, am I yeah. sure that what I have to say is worth saying? And I'm sure there's somebody else out there that could say something that's more interesting or better than what I have to say. And yet I'm still going to do it. I got very involved with a certain type of improv while I was living in Boston. And I've stayed connected with people all over the world who do this type of improv. It's called playback theater. People tell their stories out in the audience. And then a group of actors uses dancing, singing, all these different things to play back the emotional heart of the story. So for me, that brought together my theater background and my mental health background in a way that felt really sustainable and exciting. There was a woman I knew who had helped somebody else create their one-woman show. And I called her up and I was like, what do you do? And she was like, I will just ask you what you want to talk about that day. And then we'll record the whole thing. And you take it back and you make it into a show or you make it into a song or whatever you want. So we had like an entire session where I just did a back and forth conversation with myself where I was like, but nobody cares. Well, somebody probably cares, you know, and it was like, I had to talk that out. And then I had to write it out. And then I created a song about it. So it was a whole process to get over that leap. But I think that without that other person sitting there, it would have taken a lot more time. And it was really good to have somebody reflect back to me like, Literally, what you just said was fascinating to me as another artist to watch you go through this process. So therefore, you've already started a show (laughs) before you even got started. You didn't know, but you were starting the show (laughs) when you had a conversation with your inner child. Yeah, I've listened to the music from the show, which Mm -hmm. is available, and I love it. I love your voice, and I, I really enjoyed listening. You're definitely very interested in this idea of an inner child. And I believe the three main characters of the show are an adult, a teenager, and a child versions of you or or you as the character in the show. And I'm curious, like, what was important to you about including these three specific versions, like these three snapshots? Yeah, it's internal family systems therapy meets individual rock musical. It's so interesting because part of it was integrating all of these parts and integrating the whole experience of illness into my being. And yeah, I felt like this shift for myself, having just put the show out into the world and having it be seen that now 
there's some sort of ease within myself by actually doing that action, which I can't fully explain, but I can say it feels different to me now. And those three pieces just kept coming up in all the internal work I was doing. This little kid who is actually the wisest part of myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's the part I, I found that. it's interesting because so often it's like, oh, and this comes from a mental health background, which was what I did later on in life was I became, yeah. you know, a school therapist and I studied clinical mental health counseling and did that work. So, so often what we'll talk about in that genre is, oh, we have to learn how to reparent ourselves or we have to learn to be kind and gentle with this, you know, upset kid. And that's like the part of us that we maybe don't trust. But for me, it became the opposite. As the artistic part of me, that's the part I most need to trust is this little yeah. kid who has no filter, who does not think about what other people think. They're like, I just want to have fun and do this. So let's do mm -hmm. it. Um, and that's the part that's going to be connected to my art that I for so long had been like, um, we've got to wait. No, I'm not going to really attend to you right now. Like, just be patient and we'll get to the art until this little part was like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Like, I'm, right. I'm done being in relationship with you if this is how it's going to be. And the more I acknowledge and listen to and go with those impulses, the more I receive as a creative human being. And the more I'm like, oh, this is more easeful. And the more I'm like, no, 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 we're not, we don't have time for you. And this is not the time for you. The more it gets quiet. And I'm kind of like, when I do sit down to do my work, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Because now I've <laughs> shut down that part. So that part right. was really important to come into the show. And really, for me, it was also connected to stress, to like not honoring my boundaries and a lot of things that I felt like led to me being as run down as I was. And there's no reason or rhyme for Hodgkin's lymphoma, except for stress. I mean, really, they're just not sure why it happens. And it happens for young people often. I'll never know how or why it happened, but I will know that like I wasn't honoring that part of myself and I was kind of putting it on the back burner saying like when everything else is done, I'm allowed to now give myself a little treat of a little artistic right. moment. <laughs> and right. then the adolescent is um like when we get to that moment in society where it's like the kid is no longer acceptable. Mm -hmm. If you act like a little kid and you're a teenager, people are going to be like, that's weird stop and you're like okay yeah. i'm learning i'm learning not to yeah. be a weirdo yeah. even though it's oh, helpful as an artist that toy? yeah <laughs> yeah and so there's like that part but it's also i felt like that's when i learned art comes after you've finished everything it's like your your treat at the end of you know you've mm. eaten all your vegetables and now you can do the thing that you artistically like so do all your math homework or like get these grades and if you do all those things then the art is allowed. And so I felt like that representation was important to have in the show. The inner child and I guess the inner teenager, the inner adolescent, in addition to being characters in the show, how often day to day now are you speaking with, um, you know, metaphorically speaking with these parts of yourself? I'm lucky enough that they come out to play <laughs> with me. Um, and I have, you know, a practice of, of like daily journaling. So I feel like that gives a space for that. But also, it doesn't happen always, but I like to do a check in, especially with the little one, because I feel yeah. like a lot of what the show is about is like, how did I repair that relationship? And in any relationship where you need to repair something, I think it needs more tending to than other relationships. So 
it was odd to me how much in some of my writings and some of my thoughts around this little one, it almost felt like, this sounds weird, like a failed marriage where you're like, we're going to have to start all over again. And I promise I'm not going to do these things. And like, here's how I'm going to show you that I'm not going to do those things. It was like this whole relationship I needed to make with myself again. And so I like to check in with my, like, after I'm done writing, I'll just breathe for a little while and I'll be like, hey, how are you? (laughs) And then like, listen for what's going to happen. And then I'll be like, hey, what would you like to do today? (laughs) And so often it's interesting. I get this laundry list of what adult Alyssa wants to do. Like, well, we need to do laundry today. And I'm like, that's so nice. We do need to do laundry today. But I'm asking, what do you want to do today? And then (laughs) finally something will happen. Like, I want to splash in a puddle. Hmm. I want a cookie. I want to jump and run. Right. And like, there's a feeling now I know in my heart, in my gut that says like, that's real. And then I go, thank you so much for telling me what you want to do today. That's going to go on my to-do list. <laughs> like, yeah. That will go, that'll get a little space. And it's usually so simple and it's usually so easy. And I'm so grateful when I do it. Like today it was like, I want to put my feet in the sand. So before we got on here, I like took a walk on the beach and I took my shoes off, even though it's like kind of cold. And I was like, I'm putting my feet <laughs> in the sand. We did it. Look. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like follow through in any yeah. relationship to build that trust. I love that. And what have been, I mean, in addition to creating an entire musical, what have been maybe some of the smaller victories that have come during this period of your life where you have repaired or started to repair your relationship with your inner child? I think the main thing is feeling more alive. Mm. (laughs) And I think we all know that feeling of when we really create something we're proud of, or when we do something we're excited about that you get that like zing of life. And so I'm just really grateful for receiving more and more of that and then receiving more and more opportunities to do that through basically going out in the world and being like, oh, I do this. Like even admitting that I think for a long time was hard for me. It was like, oh yeah, I teach theater. Oh yeah, I like to sing. You know, there's that like downplay that, or I'll just say I, I would downplay what I do and how I do it. And I even have found like in the last six months, you know, I've talked to people. There's so many people who are, who are injured artists in the world, like out living in the world. So I had somebody say to me, like, that seems very narcissistic that you wrote a whole show about your life. And I was like, oh, well, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but I didn't, like, I felt like that would have crushed me two years ago to have somebody say, like, I think it's really narcissistic to write a show about your personal life because, like, who cares about that? And I was like, oh, I did my work. So I did it and I enjoyed it and I don't have a lot of shame around it now. I'm grateful (laughs) for that. You know, I had somebody say to me, how did you write this music or what? And and I talked about my process and I feel like in the past, I would have been like, I don't read music, so I can't really write a song. And now I'm like, nope, like I don't read sheet music. And guess what? My voice still works and I can still like find a million chords on my instruments. But there was a time again where like, I don't have proof that I'm good enough to make this. So in all that work with the little one, and even with the adolescent, I feel like I've gotten to a place where I get crushed less basically by the world, which is a big deal. That's a huge deal. And that feels so inner child to me with my own experience. I think about myself when I was a kid. I wasn't an aspiring cartoonist or an aspiring illustrator when I was a kid. I just was a cartoonist, even though I was seven. And the only people reading my cartoons were my mom and my dad and my brother. (laughs) 
and maybe like my friends, but I was just a cartoonist. And then at some point along the way, it's like I demoted myself to aspiring cartoonist or aspiring writer or whatever, you know, my next thing is going to be. And so it's really cool to hear you talk about that. I'm also really interested. I've done more recently more biographical work. And you talked about like some of the experience with that. Something I, I struggle with, not just what to include and how much to include, but like when and where to abstract it. There's the story you want to tell, which is important to you because you experienced it. But then there's also the best way to get it to an audience isn't even always the most accurate way or the most or the most quote unquote true just based on like the facts. So I'm curious if you ran into any of those challenges. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It is a good thing for me to bring up. There are things that I changed for the sake of telling the story. For example, there's a moment where the adult or my character is wearing a hospital gown. I never wore a hospital gown because I never stayed in the hospital overnight. But that's a representation for the audience that they can understand quickly, like we are now in a hospital and you are now sick. That quickly tells a story. I, I had very long monologues before I had songs. So there were these long monologues that were pretty detailed about like what physically was happening for me while I was going through treatment, about the different people I met who changed my perspective. And once I put in these songs that were the emotional heart, I was like, I don't need these really long monologues. So a lot was cut out about my personal sensations and feelings and people that that came along or they became like these broader characters instead of these like in-depth character analysis of people. So that definitely changed. And I, you know, I have a partner and he's not in the show and he was at some point put into the show. It was for only a scene or a moment. It was like, oh, and then we made this choice together to go and travel and do something different. And I was really grateful that he was open to doing that and I wanted to acknowledge it. And at the same time, in this story of me repairing my relationship with myself, it's not that there's no room for him, but it's not like directly telling that story. And so that ended up being cut. The experiences that led to this biographical musical, almost everyone, not necessarily to the degree that you did with a major illness, but almost everyone has some sort of major shakeup at some point in their life. Those of us who are like lucky enough to get through that major shakeup, it can be such an opportunity, like especially as a creative person. So I'm kind of curious, like, what would you tell someone who's right in the middle of their shakeup? And what might you tell someone who's like hasn't had that happen yet? The show is is intended in some ways to be like, if you've never been shook up, can you see my shakeup? And maybe it can help you before you have to mm-hmm. have the shakeup. And we right, all have right. to have them in some ways. But I'm like, yeah. is there anything you're questioning or anything that like feels too hard or too scary to look at? Try doing it before you end up in this place where it's like, you have no choice. I had no choice. It was like, I'm gonna spend six months being pretty miserable, mostly by myself, because, you know, everybody's working and I'm like home, sleeping, resting, feeling not great. And in that time, I, I got quiet enough and I got slow enough to have to look at some things that were like, I'm really uncomfortable being by myself for hours and hours and having to be with my own thoughts because there's things that I haven't really dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I'm really uncomfortable not doing and making and being productive because there's something internalized in me that says that is what makes me worthy of existing is that I make things. Um, And if I'm not making and doing, then like, what is my purpose? And um, 
those are heavy things. Those are yeah. uncomfortable things. And I don't know if I hadn't had six months of basically having to stop and be with them when those things would have come forward. But once I saw them, I couldn't unsee them. And once mm. I knew that like the way I had been living, which was, you know, fast paced and like, I can do anything because, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 30. And it was like all of those years of 20s was like, I can do yeah. so much. <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. I can do more and more and more and more. And I'm and I get rewarded for doing more and more and more. Like people are really excited and happy when I'm like, I can also do that. So for a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist. That's <laughs> like the <laughs> ultimate, like, yes, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, I gotta remove myself from this yeah. because I won't, I won't stop. That was when I was a mental health counselor in schools. I worked with populations of students that really benefited from mental health support. And also there were like 350 of them and one of me. I was never going to be able to do as much as was needed, but I was willing to do as much as I could possibly do. And they're actually a beautiful broken piece. The title came out of a conversation again, that I recorded with myself where my question was, I don't understand why I left the work I did because it was needed. Mm -hmm. That is needed work in the world. And I feel selfish that I, I left doing it. I had this whole moment where for whatever reason, I visualized this huge glass structure that had been clearly broken and it had been left in a corner to kind of collect dust. And I was like, I want to protect you. You're all I have left of this artistic part of myself and you've been battered and bruised and you've broken. All I know what to do is to keep you from anyone seeing you because I can't let you break anymore. I need you to still exist. And really out of that whole conversation, I realized the question isn't why did I abandon that mental health work? The question is why did I abandon the artist? Because the artist mm. was there first and was my thing that really was joyful and I wanted to be doing. And for all the reasons that happened throughout life, I said, you know what, this isn't steady enough work. This isn't going to be sustainable. All those things, I'm going to go do other work. So it just was letting go of this idea that I abandoned something that was meaningful it was really meaningful and I'm glad I did it and I learned a lot. But the true abandonment happened long before that. For somebody who's going through the shakeup, like it's not easy. It's really mm. hard. And hindsight is always 2020. So like looking back, I'm so glad I made that choice. But at the time there were like hours of tears and like many conversations of me being like, I can't abandon this path because I've made a commitment because I've come this far, like all the reasons I could give for not changing my life and then saying, I'm going to do something really scary. You know, I've practiced for most of my life choosing the, the known path. I thought of it like a muscle, like I have a muscle that's really good at knowing what's most secure and the best path and the most, I think I know what's going to happen if I choose this way. And that there was this like atrophied muscle to be with the unknown and in facing illness and in facing the ultimate unknown, I realized how much I needed to work that muscle. Those muscles needed to be evenly available to me in choosing to do what I did, which was transform my life, I went into not knowing all the time. And with that, I built I built strength. I've not been through um, a major illness or not for myself, but you know, I think like everyone, I also have moments where I think about mortality or yeah. you know, scary times in that regard. And I there are times when facing mortality 
gives me more peace in that I can look at the art I've made and feel grateful for it. Or it gives me that perspective, that sort of maybe cliche, but that life is short kind of perspective. But then there are other times where it, as a creative, scares me in that way of like, what if I never get to make all the art that I want to make? I have so many ideas. I want to live a long time. I want the longest possible time to make art. And you're someone who has faced mortality in a more literal way. So I'm curious, like where you maybe have fallen on those thought processes around that. Yeah. As you say that, I feel like the best life I can imagine is one that I don't want to ever end. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So it's like, there's grief all the time about that we have limited time. Yeah. Um. And I, I remember sitting in a group for young adults with cancer and um, somebody said, it's not that the clock goes faster. It just starts ticking louder. And that really was one of those moments where I was like, it feels so close. Like this idea of my mortality feels closer than it ever has before. And what am I doing with myself? And am I happy with what's happening? And if I were to go tomorrow, would I be like, yes, that was the life I wanted to be living. And yes, Mm -hmm. there are things that are unfinished because there always will be. But as you say it, Alex, I just think like, awesome. Awesome that you never wanted to end. Like there were moments I feel like when I was so stressed and so living my life to make other people happy that I was like, I'm just freaking tired and I want to be done. Like not in a like suicidal ideation kind of way, but just in a like, it's long and it's hard and like I'm waiting for retirement. I think a lot of people live their lives that way. So if you have the grace, guts and like life that you've created that you're like, I, I thought about that several times with this show because I'm, mm-hmm. I was like, what if I go before this show opens? Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Hope everyone has to have access to like my stuff. You can, you yep. can put it up after I'm gone. Like, <laughs> so ridiculous. But I just was like, I like, I live an, a life now where I'm like, I'm so excited for what I'm making, what I'm doing, and I want to make sure it gets into the world. Mm-hmm. That in itself tells me I'm doing what I need to be doing <laughs> because I feel the preciousness of my life. I feel the preciousness of my life in a different way than I did when it was like, I'm being good. I'm living a mm-hmm. good life that people will look at from the outside and say like, what a nice choice and what a good job versus living a life where I hope people still feel like what a nice choice and what a good job. <laughs> but the most important thing for me at this point is that I'm like, my life is precious. I love it. And I don't want it to end Oh, wow. I'm constantly like impatient to get all of my creative ideas into the world. I think that impatience can be both a fuel and a weight. Yeah, I really feel you there. It feels like there's (laughs) never enough time and there's, there's a million things to make. And I think maybe that's another next step for me in my process. Lots of ideas have been coming to me since I created this. The floodgates are open because it's like, oh, you followed through and you made your show happen. And like now it's like the ideas are like, so we can make this and we can do that. It's the opposite problem of the little one not wanting to talk to me. Now it's every little (laughs) idea comes along and I'm like, I can do this. And I have to be like, hold on. (laughs) I'm just going to listen for a little while and see like what I really want to do and what's important for me to do. And just not forget it. It's okay if it's not the first thing that comes next. I've had moments where I've said, oh, well, it didn't happen in the last year. 
So maybe it'll never happen. And I think that's like a promise I'm learning to keep to myself. Even if it doesn't happen immediately, that doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Oh my gosh, now, like, what is it? How many years since I was like 22, 23, right? That's a long yeah. time ago that I was like, I'm going to make a show. <laughs> and right, I'm like, right. Now there's a show. I'm like, good. I, I followed through. I'd like to not take that much time in between next yeah. time. It's okay to, to let there be. It seems like there's a voice that says like, I'm too old. I don't have this. Yeah. I can't do that. And I think by doing this project, I've now proven to myself, nope, no excuses. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's going to be out of a comfort zone. It's going to be like uncomfortable, but you can make the project if you want. Talking about the musical. So you just a couple of weeks ago, right? Premiered it in Oaxaca, right? Oaxaca. Yes. And that's like, I think another one of these stories that has changed for me because I was like, okay, I got to get it back up to the States. I'm going to find a way to produce it. And it's got to be in Boston because that's where my artistic community is. All these things that I could put in the way of getting it done. And I went into the recording studio and I recorded all the music. And then I had all the backtracks so that I could run the show without having to find people and teach them all the music to do it. Yeah. And that was the plan from the beginning. And it was ready. And I just was like, okay, it's ready. Let me try an audition and see if I find enough people who speak English and sing. Because that's yeah. like a real concern when you're trying to cast outside <laughs> of the country. And so I found enough people. And then I was like, well, let me see if I can find a rehearsal space. And then I found a rehearsal space. I just took it one step at a time. And I learned so much about the show doing it this way that whatever the next version of it, wherever the next place it goes, I'll have all that knowledge and I'll have all of that knowing to help me create whatever it's going to be Next. And that sounds really parallel to what you said at the beginning, which was the story you were telling yourself that you can't even write a show or, or produce a show until you're settled back in one place or in Boston or wherever. Just to understand, you seemingly split your time mostly between Boston, California and Oaxaca, right? And I don't know yes. where in California. I apologize. Um, I'm in Santa Cruz most of the time. But yeah, I am I am splitting my time. I'm definitely getting more and more time in Oaxaca. And this was like a push to do that because now I have a bunch of amazing folks who like act and want to work together. And I'm like, cool, what are we making next? What were some of the things you learned as you pushed yourself to not wait till you're quote unquote back in Boston or in one place or whatever? Well, it's interesting. The beginning of this journey was Artist's Way, which is Julia Cameron. I started the Artist's Way. And one of the things that Julia Cameron says is like, pray that the bus will get there, but then run like hell to catch it. Mm. And I felt like that was a lot of this. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. I really want to do this show and make it happen. But also I'm going to go out and like knock on doors and tell every person I meet, like, I'm working on the show. I need to find these types of people. Who do you know? I learned how much work that is. <laughs> like production mm -hmm. is really hard and then producing in another language is a whole other level. A lot of it's just saying if I'm clear on what I want and I'm like, I want a space like this. I want to find these things. People will come to you and say, oh, I just went to a show and I saw this really cool space and I thought of you because you mentioned that. It was constantly putting it out into the world. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Right. It sounds also like a lot of this comes back to being able to talk about what you're doing, losing that shame around being like, I'm a writer. I'm writing a musical. This is what I'm doing and talking about that. I just also want to acknowledge Oaxaca for the magical place that it is. For those of you who don't know about Oaxaca, it's the second largest indigenous population in Mexico. And there are these towns all in this valley, which is where the main city is, which is where I was based. And each of them have their own 
craft and art that they create. And in the streets, there's like huge puppets and like people dancing and ballet folklorico. Like the dance there is like really big. So there's art everywhere all the time. It's barely separated from life. And when I told Oaxacans, like, I'm making something, I felt like they were like, cool. Like, there's such a different sensation in bringing up my work there than I received in other places that I talked about it in the United States, where they were like, well, you've got to have this like huge budget. There's going to be a lot of barriers. Do you understand? And I feel like Oaxaca was like, how can we help you? Because you have to make your art. It's very important. This sounds like the United <laughs> States is the adult and Oaxaca is, is the inner child in a sense, in the in that metaphor. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. It was like, okay. And so there was a lot of people who jumped right on and were like, I'm so excited you're making something. Let's make it happen. How can we make it happen? And yeah. that is huge. And I'm sure you know. <laughs> it's huge as an artist to have people be like, I'm excited about your work and I and yeah. I want to be a part of it. Um, and then I wanted to talk a little um, about your lifestyle of traveling and living, I guess, more globally and more in different places, because I also relate the past couple of years. Um, you may know my wife, when we met, she was living in Tel Aviv. And since we got together, we've been going back and forth a lot more. Prior to the pandemic, I had a very Boston-centric life, both in terms of I grew up here, and so I have a lot of roots here, but also even maybe more importantly, the five years before the pandemic, I had really like built a very solid art community here around animation and around teaching and all the stuff I was doing. So many amazing things came from my life becoming more global, but I I have had to grieve the easier things about having one place with one community. I'm curious what some of the challenges were for you when you switched from, it sounds like a pretty Boston-centric life to a more global, on-the-move situation. It changes things, right? I love your acknowledgement of grief, for sure. In that it's like, everything changes all the time. You know, the only thing we can really predict is change <laughs> like things will change yeah so I can never know how it would have been if I had stayed in Boston but I will say that the artistic community that I built up in Boston was there for me a hundred percent as I went through mm. treatment you know like I went and danced with my dance community I went and sang with my singing community and my playback improv community was just like how can we help and that was true even of my of my school community too like I had built up really strong communities who all came out and rallied for me and so to choose to leave was also really hard it was just hard and I think it's interesting I think a lot of people didn't believe we were leaving till we like left (laughs) they were (laughs) like yeah yeah because I'm I'm married to a Bostonian New Englander like been there for life and um There's kind of like a a vibe, like, why would you ever leave? (laughs) You know, we're all here. (laughs) Yeah. And and then he met a Californian and I was like, I like to go (laughs) all over the place. Um, So He and I I would have a lot to talk about, I think. (laughs) Right? Yes. Whenever I'm in town, I do connect with my artist people and it feels like such a homecoming. And there are tears when I'm like, I love you guys and I miss this, you know, Yeah. but I'm grateful that I keep being invited back into those spaces and that they're, they're still there. And through the magic of, you know, like being able to email and call and talk to people, I can stay in some connection, but yeah, 
It is. It's a challenge to be on the road. And I also meet so many people and there's things I'm doing in my life that I wouldn't be doing if I hadn't met somebody on a beach somewhere or in the mountains somewhere who was like, have you heard of this? And then I like look it up and I find it. So it goes both ways. Like I'm exposed to a lot of different ways of making art and creating and ideas by traveling. And there's a groundedness to living in one place that allows for a different amount of time and energy to be given to routine or a project. Yeah. We have to get to our lightning round. Our first lightning round question is, what is something you learned the hard way that you would be happy for other people if they could just learn it the easy way? If you could just tell them right now and they're like, oh, good idea. And they can save a lot of time and energy. This is a weird thing to say, but I wish we could see clearly the things that we have been told that weren't true. Like I, I I wish that's like magic. I wish there was magic Mm -hmm. to see that. I know that's not the same thing, but so much work to uncover it. It's not something that anybody can teach you. (laughs) It's like to do your own personal deep dive and digging. And like, I didn't even realize some of these things that I'd put in my own way, these Mm -hmm. blocks that I had said, like, it's not possible because until I did that work. And if I could wave a magic wand for another person to be like, whoa, you can just see, like when you put a black light, (laughs) you know, on something and you're like, I can not (laughs) something terrible, but like, you can just see like, these are the things that you were told that like, are not reality. And they cast a spell that told you like, you can't do it. And like, clear it (laughs) and be done. So I wish, I wish that for other people. But I think the truth is, is that like, it is work when something doesn't feel right to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then what is something you learned the hard way that you're glad, even though it was challenging, you were glad you learned the hard way because there was no better way for you to learn it. It's cancer. It's, (laughs) it's just just be, but I remember, I don't know why, but that was the like get out of jail free card I needed. Isn't that bizarre? Mm -hmm. When I was making these huge choices, I just, that I seriously pulled it out. I was like, I need to live my one precious life and I don't know how long yeah. it is. So I'm, I'm heading out and I'm doing what I want. And for whatever reason, I couldn't do that with, without being like, I faced death. That would be my magic wand wave. That would be it. Like, do <laughs> not have to give your, your, your mortality card as your answer. Just right. really think about it, know what you want and do it. And people are going to judge or not or support or not. But like, you know, it's your life in the end. Yeah. Our last lightning round question is what is a favorite thing? And you can have more than one if you want, but what is a favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with writing musicals and creating plays and performing arts? It still has to do with it. I mean, it all has to do with it, but yeah, I love knowing another language and I love mm. getting to talk to people about the differences in culture in that other language. Like I feel like I get a magic there's a lot of magic we're talking about, but like, there's like kind of like this past that I get where like all of a sudden I get to have these deeper conversations and I'm really interested in having deep conversations. And I love hearing about people's, what is your relationship and how do you feel? And like, I I like these conversations. And so in speaking Spanish and living in countries where that's the case, I feel like I often get to sit down, especially in like communities of women and have these conversations that might not happen if they weren't in that person's first language and if I didn't have this like interest in in hearing 
about their lives. I'm just interested in people's yeah. lives. So it all comes back to like, then you write and then you create and you find things from it. But I love that. I love speaking another language and being allowed into communities. If you were to learn the next language after Spanish, um, is there one you have your eye on or your oh ear on? Gosh. Everyone tells me that French is easy to learn after <laughs> you've learned Spanish, but I'm actually right. taking a trip right now to go to these small towns in Alsace where my family is from, which is part oh, of cool. France. And one of the reasons I learned Spanish is because my last name's Escobar and I appear Latina. And so like a lot of people assumed that I spoke Spanish. I learned Spanish like kind of out of peer pressure, but I'm glad I did. I'm going to go to these parts of France and I'm going to be like, my family was from here for many generations a long time ago. And I can't say that in French. And so there's a part of me that's like people's expectations told me to, to learn Spanish, but like there are this, these French roots that I don't know the language and I couldn't connect in that way. And so I am feeling a little bit like, oh, I wish I had that these days. Well, all right, Alyssa, this was amazing. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Uh, David was right <laughs> to oh, recommend you. I'm really um, glad we got to talk to you. Thank you. If folks want to follow you, follow your work, follow Beautiful Broken Peace, keep up on what's going on with that and everything you're doing, where should we direct them? You can check out Instagram. I've got Beautiful Broken Peace underscore musical, which will have actually what's happening with the musical. You can see clips from the most recent show. There's a website, beautifulbrokenpeace.com. Both of those places, I will be saying I, I recorded the show. And so I will have some place where people can access seeing the recording of the show in the next couple months. Cool. And then if you want to find me, Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-A Escobar on Facebook, or if you just Google that, you'll find all sorts of things <laughs> for the show and for my my work that I do. So that's all the places nice. you can find me. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And I'm so excited to see uh, what, what you're up to next and where you go next. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Alyssa Escobar for that beautiful and healing conversation. I'm so curious to hear what all of you got out of it. So if it made you think about anything in your creative life differently, get in touch, send me a DM, send me an email. If you like this podcast in general, do all the available clicking of buttons. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, review. Think of that like putting just a dollar in the tip jar, except it costs you nothing, except your time, which is valuable. And I appreciate that you spent the last uh, 45 or so minutes with me. Thank you to Adam Salzberg for mixing this episode and getting it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, which is Adam's solo project. I haven't reminded you in a while, but definitely look for Typist on Spotify because his album is incredible. We'll have to talk to him one of these days. As always, I like to recommend an episode or two. The episodes you're going to want to listen to today, if you want to kind of keep the vibe going of beautiful conversations with some overlapping themes of career changes and honoring different parts of yourself, you're going to want to listen to the Sarah Lynn Rule episode and the Whitney Trestle episode. Those are both relatively recent. You can scroll back couple episodes in the feed and find those and i think you'll really like them and we'll be back in two weeks with another great conversation that i'm super excited about thank you so much for listening <laughs>